Well, I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. We had a great one. You know, I want, want you to know that right over here in this area, Sunday morning, three teenagers surrendered their lives to the Lord. That's been coming into youth. And Larry's been saying, you know, if you guys are serious, you need to come on Sunday morning. And uh, they were at the altar Sunday morning. And sometimes these things are a little bit, you know, at what point is our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life? It might be that when we started down the aisle that they started writing our names down there. Just because we're responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but it does say that we are to openly confess Jesus before men. And so there is something about us sharing our faith and our salvation, our testimony, that Christ has saved us and he has redeemed us and that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When I posted my dad's uh, picture on Memorial Day, as he said in that trainer, he was, he was a flight instructor for a while. He said that's the most dangerous thing he did all through World War II. I like they got killed more trying to train other pilots than uh, flying bombing missions over Japan. But he did say the closest he came to dying was a guy locked up at, at the control, and he told his commander, says, I'm not, I'm not taking him up anymore. He says, he liked to kill both of us. But my dad's testimony, when he would share his testimony, he got saved after the war was over, and I was too small to remember it, but he always said, I'm so thankful that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Taken from what Jesus told the disciples when they come back, he says, wow, we had miracles, demons, healings. And he says, well, that's good. But rejoice more in your names or in the Lamb's book of life. And my dad did that. He, he, took, he took that advice seriously. So uh, it's good to hear that Bob came through, Karen's dad came through surgery, hip surgery, and started rehab today. Eighty-eight and going strong. And uh, some of you remember me sharing about TJ, just uh, the hand of God that kept that young man from dying in the accident Tuesday a week ago. In fact, when we were coming from Birmingham today. I was looking right around mile marker 93, and there was this big burn spot. And I told Brenda, I says, that's where his car burned up right there. And uh, people in a U-Haul truck pulled him out of the car unconscious before it burst into flames. And he went home from the hospital two days ago. So I hope it's waking him up because that's... It was just, uh, it was nothing but God and the prayers. Because when I arrived at the ER, I got, I got there before Chrissy did. And, but on the way, I, I was saying, Lord, I don't know if he's gone or not. But I know you're not willing that any should perish. And you're more for him than anybody else. I pray that he is still alive and that you'll give him another chance. And I, I told the family that. And thankfully, he, he's going to survive. But may the Lord get a hold of his heart. Because that's what the Lord wants. Is this. 
He wants, he, I, I, when I went in to pray for him, uh, first chance I got to see him, I, I looked over and he was in a lot of pain. I said, uh, you know, TJ, the Lord created you for him, for himself. And he, and he has great plans for you. And I'm here to pray for you. So a young man battling drugs, battling a lot of decisions he's made in his life. And boy, that can be a, that can be a demonic hold that's hard to break. But God has broken it, and, he, and we're believing he's going to break it in his life. But I'm, I'm sharing some of this because we're, we're going to ask you to walk through that room at the end of this service and just pray. And you'll pray when you get in the room. You'll just start praying. Because <laughs> there, there's a lot of yard sale stuff in there that's going to be sold Saturday. But... Uh, Larry and I have talked, that we're doing this for the youth and going to camp and things like that. And I said, Larry, we, we need to make this an outreach. We need to bless people. We need to just be out there to let people know they matter. And there is a bunch of stuff out there. But we have two things. We have a, a sign-up sheet to help with the yard sale. And that Larry needs your signature on that. But we also... We're going to have a prayer tent. We're going to tailgate Jesus' way. We're going to have a tailgate tent set up for prayer. And we need a couple people to man that throughout the day. And I'm going to share with you some things about that. So that's a sign-up sheet for you to... It's going to start at 7 and go to possibly 2. But, you know, you sometimes these things just kind of feather down and it finishes up somewhere around that time with the way the heat is it's going to probably finish up before that but um, we want it to be a ministry time not just a yard sale we want to be an opportunity to get to know people to let to find out where their needs are what they need prayer for and you know what I've, I've asked people all over when we travel, I was in Windsor, Colorado. Anybody know where Windsor, Colorado is? <clears throat> it's uh, about 15 minutes south, southwest of Fort Collins. And I was having Kelly's car service there at a, at a uh, Pikes Auto. Windsor is a neat little throwback western town that the main street intersection is a four-way stop. Something like that. And so I, I go in, I get her set up, and the guy hands me a little card, really wonderful people, and said, uh, over here at the House of Windsor, it's a coffee house, they have breakfast treats and stuff, and they can fix you up a breakfast, but you'll go, you can get a cup of coffee or something on us. So I walked over, and boy, what a neat shop. And this uh, just bubbly college-age young lady was behind the counter, and, and I handed her my voucher, got me a cup of coffee, and ordered a breakfast sandwich. And um, when I left, I felt like I needed to just engage her a little bit in talking to her and ask her if she had seen the war room. And she said, oh, yeah, a couple of years ago. I said, wrong war room. <laughs> It's a more recent movie. She says, oh, I said, and it's not a military movie, but it's, strate it's about strategy, 
And it's about fighting your battles the right way, and that is with prayer. And I gave her just a little bit of Cliff Notes kind of review of it. And uh, how we need to approach life problems with the help of God. And she wasn't giving me one clue as, you know, not any hint which way she was doing with this. So I said, and if I was going to pray for one need for you today, what would it be for? And in about 15 minutes, she opened her life to me that her mother fell into drug addiction. Her and her sister was in foster care. And she was now on her own, but her baby sister was just coming through the teen years, and she had also fallen into some of that same lifestyle. And she said, I'd like for you to pray for her. And she gave me her first name, and I've been praying for that young lady. Isn't it interesting that a total stranger, that you open up, the possibility for God to work in someone's life and they'll just lay out their struggle. It tells me that people yearn to have help beyond themselves. People come to a point where they don't know what to do. Everybody gets there, no matter who you are. You have those places, you just hit the wall and you don't know what to do. And you're thinking, oh God, oh God, help me. And, um, and I've, I've yet to have anybody turn me down to give me a request when I take that kind of approach. I want to take you through some scripture this evening. And if you want to jot these things down, you can. But here's the way outreach works today. How many of you remember evangelist Titus Lee? That's a throwback, isn't it? Do you remember Titus Lee? you remember Karen? Anybody else besides Jim and I remember Titus Lee? He was before your time. Huh? I think he was in junior high back then. <laughs> Titus Lee was um, Spencer Jones. He, uh, Paul, he came out of Spencer Jones Church. I think he's pastoring uh, <laughs> Southside Tabernacle in Chicago. I had developed a relationship with Spencer Jones. He, he came and we helped um, launch an inner city church in Jacksonville with Mike and Carmela Nelson. And uh, interesting, Mike and Carmela was a young preaching couple out of Brother Jones's church in the uh, south side of uh, Chicago. And they ended up buying our house. So we just formed a great bond. I preached for Spencer in Chicago, about two services, as I had about 250 people. And Brenda and I and Jason and Kelly walked in, and we were the only white people among 250 people. <laughs> so that gives you a perspective that you say, oh, okay, this is how it feels. <laughs> But uh, they, they loved on us, and uh, Titus was an evangelist out of their church. And Titus came here and preached a revival. Does that spur anybody's remembrance? Well, we did something that people don't do anymore. We did door-to-door evangelism. We had a team go to Alberta. We had a team go somewhere else. And I was on the team that went to Alberta. Remember the car wash over there got wiped out by the tornado? Yeah. 
Well, Titus was with me, and we was talking to all these young guys there. And, and Titus looked at me, and he says, is everybody in this town saved? Because everybody we ask if they're Christians says, yeah. They might be smoking a joint right there in front of me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, yeah. He looked at me and says, now in Chicago, they'll tell you and use a few choice words, no. And I don't want to be. He said, what is it with the South? I said, I don't know. We just had this thing that we think everybody's going to heaven, no matter who you are. But that was troubling to him. And, but we had some serious ministry that we were able to do, but evangelism explosion that used to focus on putting teams and just going down the street, knocking on doors, it, it's really gotten to people don't want you doing that. And you, you don't get, you know, because they associate you with, no, JWs, Jehovah Witnesses. You know, there's a, oh, here they come again. You know, so they're already, they're already like this with you. So how do you do outreach today? How do we share the gospel today? Listen, let, let's just stop right here before I get into any of this. Do we just want to stop right here and say, it is the purpose of God that we share the gospel in some form or fashion? Whether it's writing notes to our, our loved ones, I've got letters that my mother sent to her mother and her sisters and her brother after she got saved in the mid-1950s when she was telling them that Jesus is coming and y'all better get right. She was like worried about them. And they gave her back the letters because eventually they all got saved. Her sister, her mother got saved. But, you know, she was burdened for her family. Somehow I think we've, we, we need God to refresh us in that. But she wrote letters. She witnessed. She just had a burden for her family. What are we, what are we doing to share the gospel? And, and I'm, I'm saying that from a, a group, but also individual. How can I share the gospel? How, how can, given my personality... Because some of you might be reserved, someone might be more outgoing. You can talk to anybody. My father-in-law meant no strangers. He could go into a Dunkin' Donut coffee shop, and he'll know everybody before he leaves. He just, he just talks to everybody. Not many people are like that. But as believers, we should be about sharing the gospel, right? We should just kind of stop and say, this is something we need to be doing. Is sharing the gospel. So how do we do that? I was, um, I was reading some of these new approaches to evangelism, and they had this word, and this word kind of captured me, that today's believers that's going to share the gospel has to engage people and not just talk to people. There's a difference. Engaging them not to preach to them, but to engaging, engage them in such a way that whatever they're going through, whether they tell you or they don't tell you, that you want to leave them with some hope that the Lord can work in their lives. Whether they confess the Lord right there on the spot 
and pray a prayer of, of salvation and repentance. We want to sow the seed. And according to what I, you know, the, the, the parable of the sower is really the parable of the soil. Really. The sower is the same in all of those. The seed is the same. What's different? It's the soil. So it's the parable of the soil. So is the, the, seed is, the seed is the same potential life-giving results of salvation. It's the word of God. The person that sows the seed. So this is what we need to do. We just need to be sowing the seed. And, and pray that it's falling on good soil. Some of it's not going to fall on good soil. Some of it's going to fall in rocky places where there's not much there. There's going to have thorns. There's going to have other things. That's, the sun's going to bake it out. But, but how do we find out where the good soil is if we're not sowing the seed? Charles Whitfield was a strict Calvinist. He believed in predestination. He believed in the election of the saints. And if you know much about Calvinism, it, it's, it's, it's got those five points of tulip. You know, total depravity, uh, perseverance of the saints. But here's what, what, what made Charles Whitfield such a great evangelists that people would come to salvation. This is his approach. It's not the approach that some people have today. He felt it was an absolute necessity to preach the gospel so that the ones that were supposed to be saved could get saved. You think about it. That the seed had to hit the soil before whether it was pre-planned. Now, I don't, I don't believe that God just chooses people to be saved. And the rest of them are just chosen to be lost. Because I think there's too many scriptures that God is not willing that any should perish. That's a tough verse to mix in with election, isn't it? Predestination. That God would have all come to repentance. All come to salvation. But George Whitfield was anointed because he felt like when he began to preach, the seed would go and find the hearts that was ready for it. And I'm not so sure that shouldn't be our approach. We might be more worried about whether this is a good soil we're, we're investing in. We just need to trust the word that we're giving and, and let God determine how that soil is receiving it. Right? So here's what I want to share with you. Because what I want to encourage you to do, if you possibly can, Saturday, is to come out here sometime during the day and just walk around and pray. If you don't sign up for the prayer tent, but just pray. Engage people, talk to people, and see if God doesn't open a door for you to minister to someone. So how are we going to minister to them? How do we engage people? How do we start the conversation? Howdy. Howdy. Hi. How are you? Well, it kind of starts there. What's the first thing if you're going to talk to someone that you really want to? Yeah, who they are. You know, hey, you introduce yourself and, and you find out who they are. And there's a history to every person. Where they come from. The journey they've been on. 
And in that history is going to be places that I believe we can connect with people in a way that we can share our faith with them. It might take a while. There's something I have up here, and I, I, I may have enough copies for everybody, but uh, I know I have enough copies if couples just take one of them. Um, this is Kirby and Sheila Rouse's uh, missions newsletter from Belgium. And it might be hard to see. At the bottom is a track that they put together. And this is a young lady, Muriel, that, got, that came to the Lord. And this is her story. And uh, Belgian people don't like church, so they won't come to church when you ask them, hey, won't you visit such and such church? They just have a disdain. So Kirby has a coffee shop. This young lady, they shared the gospel with her for years before she finally surrendered her life to the Lord and said that's common for Belgian people. They have to really think about it. They have to ponder it. They're slow to decide on it. And I want you to, I want you to take this because it gives you a little bit of a window and are we just committed for a, a flash of witness? Or are we committed for the long haul? Are we just give a person a chance to get saved? Well, okay, I gave him a chance. On to the next person. Or does God want us to be a little bit more intentional than that? Well, let me take you through some scriptures. And I don't think witnessing today is just regurgitating scriptures and and a plan of salvation. But this, let me take you through a few things that I think these are places you really need to have a grasp on it. And the first one is this. It's Romans 3.23. Some people call this the Romans road. I'm going to mix in a couple places from 1 John and John 1. Um, but a lot of this comes from Romans. Romans 3.23 puts us all in the same boat, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I've used the word recently and more so than maybe years back. I saw an article that a, a guy wrote. He says, I don't think the word broken ought to be what we use with people who are lost. Is but... The reason why we're lost is that we're broken. We're broken. We, we're not intact. We're missing the one who created us for. He created us to know him. And so there's a void in people's lives. The interesting thing about cultures, even uncivilized cultures, they worship something. They were, it could have been a tree, it could have been a crocodile, it could be a storm. I mean, they, they all had a fear of a God, some kind of God. And this is, I think, the hunger of the soul is to know the purpose. To know, why, why am I here? C.S. Lewis would say to his, after he became a Christian, would say to his atheist friends, 
If there's no purpose to life, why are we asking if there's a purpose to life? If there's no purpose to life, why would even be thinking about purpose of life? Why are we here? Why don't we just biologically live and pass on and go back into the soil and just recycle this life, biological life? So because we know this is why we ask the questions. This is why we, we want answers to life. Is because there's, there's more to it than this life. And we're asking those questions. And people are asking those questions. They can say they're agnostic. They can say they're atheists. I said to you before, for a while, I befriended some atheists on Twitter, and, and I finally just couldn't take it any longer. But I, I was in there with them just talking, just getting their perspective on things. But if I said anything, they would like swoop in like by the drove. And just batter whatever I said, just battered it around. I remember saying, well, if, if, if there's no higher authority, where do we have authority for right and wrong? Who came up with a moral code that murder was wrong? You realize that Charles Darwin is right, survival of the fittest. If that, in its purest form, murder would not be wrong. Because it'd be just proven that you were stronger than the other person. And you survived because you, you figured out how to eliminate them. Right? If the animal world only progressed because there was a survival of the fittest, and I would give that kind of trying to engage these guys, trying to talk to them, and it's like, well, there was moral codes way before the Bible was written. I said, there was? You want to you, you come up with it and show me? The Code of Hammurabi is one of the oldest secular code, codified law, a Babylonian monarch. But the Moses Law is the oldest codified law. In other words, for this, for this offense, this is the punishment. For this offense, this is the punishment. For this offense, this is the punishment. And it laid it out. That murder was wrong, manslaughter was wrong, rape was wrong, incest was wrong. And that was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I said, do you know, do you know of an older codified law than that? And this was the best answer they could come up with. Well, man just became self-realizing. There you have it. Man just realized one day. <laughs> That killing someone just might be wrong. And I said, that's the best y'all can come up with. <laughs> I know I was frustrating them, and they were frustrating me, so it kinda, I just kind of backed off away from it. But I think it's important for us to know that people are struggling. C.S. Lewis really wasn't an atheist. He, he told you he was mad at God. His mother died when he was young. And he was just, he says, I was angry for God not being God. Now that sounds odd. But my, my son asked me, as a student on the UA campus, the atheist group he, he kind of encountered in, and he says, Daddy, why are they so angry about someone who doesn't exist? It looks like that if he doesn't exist, it's just, so what? He's like, okay, you know, if you want to be stupid enough to believe that. But he said, they're not, they don't just not believe, they are angry that I believe. And I think when we're engaging with people, we just, 
you've got to be prepared for all kinds of reaction. But do you care for the person you're talking to? And the reason I reached out to these atheists is because I cared about them. I care about, I'd like to see one of them become the next C.S. Lewis. Or the next Josh McDowell. Or Lee Strobel. All these guys who are great apologists of the Christian faith were avowed atheists at one time. And here they come to know the Lord. Somebody had to, most of them is somebody close to them got saved. And they, they started seeing the change in that person's life. But here's the next verse. Romans 6, 23. You probably know these. But when's the last time have you shared them with someone? The wages of sin is death, but the great, great word right there, chrisma, gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the gift of God, but it comes in the package. It's like me slipping this being the gift, eternal life, and the book being Jesus, it comes this way. Eternal life comes packaged in Jesus. And, it, and a gift is a gift if there's no strings attached. It's just an open gift. Can't earn it. You realize this is when Christopher Hutchins, uh, Hitchens was going on about this investigative thing before he died of, of cancer, he, was, um, he would say things like, well, that, that sounds like a crude thing for me to do all my wrong and just dump it on someone who was innocent. Talking about Jesus being the innocent one dying. But he was looking at it from his perspective. He didn't see it from, we didn't dump anything on Jesus, did we? He took it. See, he, he was seeing it from, well, that's, that's, that's not a fair thing that you just do your stuff and do all your wrong and, and you dump all that on an innocent man. And he just didn't see the point that he came to us. He took our sins. The wages of sin is death. He took that, turned around, and gave us the gift of life. Now, here's the next one. First John one, nine. First John one nine. People, everybody knows they they've done something wrong. Everybody, all of us have sinned. So the result of sin is death. We need the life of Jesus. This is how it works. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's, we're going we're to get to Romans 10 in just a moment about the, the importance of confession, the importance of praying. Brenda and I, in the first church we pastored in Lake City, Florida, there's a lady named Martha Boatwright. 
that Brenda was working with at a doctor's office. And I think she's worked at a doctor's office our whole life. But Martha was a Mormon, and her husband had divorced her. And in a Mormon covenant, she's done. She, she's, she's got the mark. And uh, Brenda worked with her. We didn't know all of that. Brenda invited her to church. She came. She responded to the altar call, wept, prayed. People prayed with her. Came back the next Sunday, answered the altar call, cried, wept. We said, well, I, I guess you really got saved this time. And third Sunday, she came back to the altar crying, weeping. And I'm thinking, Son, are we, can, w w what's going on here? And I just called one of the ladies that was praying. I said, ask her if she's verbally confessed Jesus as her Savior. And I overheard her saying, well, do I say that out loud? And she said, yes. So she prayed that. And the next Sunday, she came back radiating with the presence of the Lord. She, she was under conviction, but in her mind, she didn't know what to do with it, and we just thought she knew what to do with it. There was no one really kind of helping her, and she realized that when she said it, when she heard her own words say, I repent of my sins, and I open my heart to you for you to live in my life. It done it. It, it, it finished the, the, the guilt part, the conviction part, evaporated. woman later got baptized in the Holy Spirit, remarried, had a great family, and moved to Louisiana, and we, over the years we lost contact with her. But that woman's life changed because of 1 John 1, 9. This, this, this is, if we confess, sometimes you just have to say it. And you get this over in Romans 10. Before we go to Romans 10, let me take you to John 1.12. Two words are in John 1.12 that I think is important for us as we're talking with people. And we want people to come to faith in the Lord. And that is the word believe and the word receive. Because preceding John 1.12 is that Jesus came into his own and they didn't receive him. But as many as received him. And that's a little bit stronger word than believe. Because you can believe you're sitting in a chair. And that doesn't require anything of you. There's no risk. But when you put, when you see the chair a little wobbly. And you sit down in it, that takes faith, doesn't it? So you... The receiving and believing, says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power. This is John 1, 12. Are the right to become children of God. This is, this is how we enter into a relationship with Jesus. Through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But it's the embracing of him. It's the receiving of him. Not just the believing. It's I believe. That could be a, just a, an affirmation. I sent to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross and He was raised from the dead. But do you receive that? 
You receive that as fundamental to your life. And I think that's the difference. Uh, Romans 5, 8. <clears throat> Just got a couple more. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Both of those. There's a single guy that lived behind our church in Jacksonville. And... Uh, Marty worked at a bank, and I'd stop and talk to him, invite him to church. And uh, Marty Serimi, good Polish guy. And uh, I didn't know the torment the man was in. One day he came by my office and said, I'm, I'm having nightmares. I see demons. Um, you know, I'm, I live in fear. And he didn't look like a guy that would be afraid of anything. But he said, I'm, I don't know what to do. There's so much darkness around me. So we sat in a Sunday school room, and I took him through some the very verses. And he prayed, asked the Lord to save him, to deliver him from this darkness. And he looked at me and said, I don't feel any different. I don't feel anything's happened. We prayed again. You know, for me, I, I really didn't know much to do. Well, let's do it again. Let's give it another go. And finally, I took Romans 10, 9 and 10. And I said, well, Marty, do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Do you believe that? He says, yes. And you've prayed it with, you confess with your mouth. Yes. I says, what does it say? At the end of verse 10. And he looked at it. And he said. I'm saved. And then he did this. He's like. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I'm like. Yeah. That's what I've been, that's what I've been trying to tell you. That was probably. 30 years ago. And that guy, and his, he, he married a wonderful young lady, and he's still ushering in that same Assembly of God church. But it, was, it took his own voice. And I think, I think we, we ought to not make a template of witnessing because everybody's different. You know, I, I tried to share the gospel with a lot of people, and I've been cut off by some says, uh, don't preach to me. And my brother was one of the principal, and I tried to, don't preach to me. I've had enough preaching in my life, I don't want you preaching to me. Okay, I won't preach. And these guys stopped me, don't preach to me, that's personal, I don't want to, you know. But it seems like the Lord, the, when you care about him, the Lord will eventually open up a door where you can really do share the gospel. Here's what I want to do. I want us to stand and pray for lost people. And when Kirby, please come up and get one of these copies.
When Kirby says, how can you help? He mentions supporting with offerings. He said, but pray for the souls of Belgian people to get saved. They got some young interns, some young ladies that's working in there. Um, the Gradley stopped by, Charles Gradley and his wife and kids who are going back to Brussels to work at a university there in Brussels, same university that one of the terrorists was a student at. And I asked him, I said, what about Sheila and Kirby Rouse? He says, oh, we love them. They're, they're street evangelists. They, they preach, they share the gospel to everybody. But he says, pray for souls. Let's do this tonight before we leave. And this is why I want you to walk through this room. Somebody can go in there and turn all those lights on when we get through praying in here. Pray for everybody that comes onto this campus that if they're not a believer, something will happen to get them to thinking about the Lord. Whether they go to the prayer tent, whether they engage people. But let's pray for people to get saved. Let's pray for souls. Lord, I thank you that this is your week. This is your week. We want you to be glorified. We are thankful for our youth. We're thankful for Larry and Tammy for the work they've put in, for the donations. We, we want youth campus year to be great. But Lord, we want Saturday to be ministry day. We want Saturday to, do, to be a day of blessing. If we just give stuff to people because we realize they need something, we want to be a blessing. And Lord, we want to be a blessing in the greatest way, and that is to give hope to people who walk onto this campus hopeless and in dire need of encouragement. Maybe they're facing cancer. Maybe they're facing a horrific thing with a son or a daughter. We want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be a, your instrument, Lord, to connect with them and to give them a sense of your concern and your love for them. And Lord, that they'll come to know you. I pray for Belgian people, some of the most difficult people to witness to. But thank you for Kirby and Sheila being there and for people who are in it for the long haul. They, they know it's a, a slow process for many of these people. But thank you for the Muriels and those who come to know you and become witnesses to their fellow Bel Belgians. Lord, we pray that you would bless your church throughout America and throughout the world to have children, to have new infants, to have new converts, to disciple them. Thank you for these three young men that are new believers. And Lord, as Larry disciples them, may they become the missionaries at Bryant High School this next school year. May, may the 16-17 school year be the greatest school year for school ministry. And not just Bryant, but for Northridge and for Brookwood and for all of the school systems, Lord. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, bless this week. Thank you for those who are here. We may, have a, we may be tentative in how we share the gospel, but Lord, help us to just be bold enough to do it and watch you bring the increase. We, we commit ourselves to your purpose, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.